Hi, I'm Babs Weber, and welcome to Paused at Home, an Alberta Social Innovation Connect podcast. The pandemic and economic downturn this spring have forced many changemakers to pause and or pivot. As we head into the summer, although our province is experimenting with opening some aspects of our lives, we still have a lot to adapt. In light of our work structures changing on a daily basis and the pause we're in at home, we've decided to touch base with changemakers across Alberta to hear about the new questions and reflections on their minds during this period of systems change. If the question sparks new thoughts for you, please share in the comments on your favorite listening platform and let us know what you think. As the way we engage with each other shifts, the way we volunteer is changing too. What does volunteer engagement look like right now? How is COVID-19 bringing people together in new ways? What does this mean about our shifting priorities and the way volunteerism fills even the smallest social needs? On today's episode, Elise Martinowski sits down with Daniela Seiferling, Graham Dearden, and Eunice Deroni. These three all work for Volunteer Alberta, the association that connects volunteer centers and agencies who rely on volunteers throughout the province. Hello and welcome, Daniela, Graham, and Eunice. I'm so glad that you're sitting down with me today and recording this episode. Thank you for taking the time to do that and to jump on this digital platform to record with me. So to get us started, could each of you introduce yourselves along with what you do? Uh, So my name is Daniela Seiferling, and I am the Senior Coordinator of Networks and Engagement with Volunteer Alberta. Hi, uh, I'm Graham Dearden, and I am the Senior Coordinator for the Learning and Development Portfolio at Volunteer Alberta. Uh, I'm Eunice Deroni, and I'm the Senior Coordinator for the Youth at the Table Project at Volunteer Alberta. With everything that's going on in this forced pause that we're in, all being at home and thinking of large questions from our coaches, um, what are the big questions that are on your minds right now? So one of the questions we're sitting with at Volunteer Alberta is what does volunteer engagement or engagement of nonprofits in general look like during COVID-19? One thing that I've been uh, seeing a lot, like I I think that it really depends, but, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of virtual opportunities that are popping up within Alberta, like virtual volunteering opportunities. Um, And I think that those virtual opportunities are kind of looking a little bit different than even virtual volunteer opportunities before the pandemic did Um, because people are trying to figure out what can be done in their organization virtually, obviously. Um, But they're also, I think, shifting priorities and getting work that they normally wouldn't think to do via volunteer work done now with volunteers because it's really the only option they have. I've, I've been seeing a lot more of that. Like, you know, there, there's those uh, positions that have always existed virtually, like, you know, well, not always, but recently, like social media positions like that that you can do from your computer. But then other organizations are kind of saying like, well, I mean, we can't fill our normal volunteer gig. Um, maybe we could get somebody to help us do like, I don't know, grant writing or something like that. And I think to build off of Graham's point, there's also a switch in how we're seeing micro-volunteering roll out. So before this, it was kind of typically around fundraising opportunities, but 
now you're seeing more of stick within your own community. So help your neighbors, help your friends, help your family. And it's become this kind of more insular versus far reaching aspect. And so the things that you're seeing are people doing knitting, people picking up groceries, people picking up prescriptions. And so the focus has become more community based versus actually just around targeted fundraising. So it's not necessarily what we call armchair volunteerism anymore. There's actually an intention behind it around community mm -hmm. response. Definitely. Yeah, no, I, I would agree, Danielle. And um, I, I think that there's a lot of nonprofits throughout the province that are kind of, they're, they're not really sure what to do at this point, like especially those direct service nonprofits, like, you know, the people who are doing like, you know, healthcare work or, you know, like even like the, you know, like, sports teams that populate every, you know, like neighborhood throughout Alberta, it seemed. Um, a lot of them are very confused as to what to keep doing now. So their base is also finding a need to find other things to do. So um, I, I, I've seen that kind of happen as well. Like we were talking about a lot of community, uh, like grassroots organizations that aren't necessarily formal volunteers, uh, or sorry, formal nonprofits. Sorry mm -hmm. for that. Um, but, uh, they, they are kind of drawing in a lot of, uh, volunteer engagement now from people that, uh, they, they want to help because it is a crisis. But like, also, I think there's a lot of volunteers that are joining those organizations because they, they just don't, they don't have the same commitment they did before and they still want to do something for their communities. Mm -hmm. so. Is that tying in with your second question around grassroots movements? Yeah. Could you share that question with us and the thoughts that are accompanying it? Yeah. Um, so another question that I've been having a lot lately is uh, thinking around like these grassroots community based organizations um, and how we can continue to engage with them in the future, because I think that we're seeing a lot of very loose organizations of people like online um, and in person, uh, but mostly online. Um, they're, they're kind of really stepping up in a lot of ways and providing like, you know, help to their communities without the formal structure of a nonprofit organization. So, you mm -hmm. know, like you just hop on Facebook and you see these people that are like, I need food delivered, who can do, do it? And they get mm -hmm. able to bring food to their doorstep because they don't have the ability to do so. Um, and these types of organizations are not necessarily new. Um, they, they've existed for a long time. There's lots of, you know, uh, political um, groups that exist solely within that kind of grassroots online environment and seeing seeing the government and seeing the nonprofit sector actually respond to these organizations because we have to kind of work with them to respond to this pandemic has made me think mm -hmm. what would happen if we formally engage those organizations um, in the future over different issues um, and what might that look like? Mm -hmm. Like a post-pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's probably going to be all these Facebook groups that are left over that are about, uh, you know, volunteering um, for the pandemic. And can we keep them active? Is there any way to mm -hmm. continue that dynamic regardless of whether or not there's an emergency? Yeah, and there, there probably will be a need for that. And you've both touched on this piece of community and coming together, whether through a formal organization or just on our own to support those around us. Um, loved ones, family, friends, neighbors, and I'm so glad to see that we've come together like that throughout these hard times, and I hope that we continue to see that post-pandemic when we're not going through hard times like this, just on a daily basis, that we support each other the same way we are now.
Yeah, I was also going to say um, it's been really nice to see like mutual aid um, groups like coming up. Um, so uh, kind of touching on what both Danielle and Graham were saying, um, one of my friends um, started up the like a COVID-19 uh, mutual aid group on Facebook. And it's basically what both of you have already said that um you know like just when when people need it you band together and you share resources and it's um you know it's at the heart of volunteering um you know that's that's what it is you 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 come together for your community and it's um based on what the community needs and um yeah so it's been really cool to see those coming up and i think um it'd be cool to frame um you know social issues like our our conception of uh, social issues um mm -hmm. in that way where uh, you know whatever the community kind of needs uh we come together as a community even yeah post pandemic when things aren't so um you know um when we're not in crisis mode anymore mm -hmm. i feel like um there there will still be things that we need to come together on and um, I just hope that we can kind of look back on on this experience and um, and realize the value of um, not necessarily um, you know sorry I'm like I was just telling these two earlier I'm like I like to ramble but um, it's all good yeah I think in the post pandemic world it'd be nice to. Um, to still see people coming together that might not necessarily come together, um, you know, for, um, you know, some beers or something like that, but uh, to have a, a common uh, goal. And it, it'd be cool if um, there were more um, supports for them, more formal supports uh, for these groups. Um, cause often, you know, just the little bit of money or like a little bit of, um, time really goes a long way. So, yeah, I really like that, you know, and that made me kind of think that, um, like it's, it's, it's something that, you know, you kind of hear a lot is that, you know, like crisis brings communities together. Like, you know, when there, there's something made happening, people band together and, you know, take care of it in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I know that a lot of the rhetoric that I've heard around like the current response to crisis has, has also involved people thinking that, you know, like there's, you know, an overreaction to a lot of stuff. And I, I don't necessarily know if that's, if that's true. But the other thing that I thought is I think on a whole outside of, you know, uh, a crisis situation, sometimes we don't do a good enough job communicating what our community needs actually are. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's it's easy in a time of crisis to say we need to band together and do something, but during uh, you know a period of time in which your community is really suffering, but there's not a lot of publicity around it, there's not a lot of people talking about it. How do you still band people together to work on those issues? You know, so mm -hmm. I think that there has been a really big response to COVID, rightfully so. Um, but I think that maybe flexing that kind of uh, you know community <laughs> community response muscle right now might help us respond better to other things in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I kind of building off that a little bit, but also kind of thinking of the world before pandemic hit, we were often more insular and we were constantly on the go. Whereas this has given us a time of social isolation, a time to pause, think and reflect. 
So we didn't necessarily have those opportunities so much in our day-to-day work before because you're constantly moving to the next thing. Mm -hmm. So it's caused organizations to kind of think differently about who they work with, who they ask to the table, how they even do their work. Because I know Eunice and Graham will probably agree with me that there's often this perception in the nonprofit sector that in-person is always better. The relationship is more authentic. When you volunteer in person, you get more out of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're seeing you can build just as strong relationships with your community and with your neighbors and with people you've never met virtually as you could in person. So I think we're going to actually see this kind of shift. And I can't believe I'm saying this because I am a big person who hates technology. Um, we're going to see how this shifts in terms of what we're actually using and the tools we use to engage and respond to different things. And it's going to shift entirely into a virtual platform, I think, for the most part, or at least in a bigger aspect than what it's been currently. And I think that that shift within, like, organizational culture, too, will trickle down into kind of, like, the volunteer base as well. Because, like, volunteer managers now, they're being forced to do work the way that we are right now, you know, like, through Zoom or online, and they, they just by virtue of the pandemic, they, they don't have the ability to not learn these skills right now. And they're learning how to engage people online. And that work will inevitably lead to how they engage volunteers as well. Um, so I think that this collective learning of, you know, technological engagement skills will be um, really impactful for the volunteer sector within the next little while. You're giving me a great idea that um, beyond connecting now about the questions that we're that we're thinking of during pandemic, we should connect post pandemic and chat about how things have actually changed and what we anticipated changing if that if that came true or if we just are back to the way things were. Exactly. Yeah. Right now we're in like back to the future mode and like you know <laughs> trying to anticipate what the world is going to look like. In the future. So who knows? Mm-hmm. We should all put in a hypothesis of what we think might happen. Flying cars. That's what go. I'm seeing. Perfect. <laughs> I would like a transporter for going, you know, down a road. Nice. The ability to beam halfway across the world in like 15 seconds. That would be lovely. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. As long as we don't have the fear of a pandemic and not being allowed to travel, then yes. <laughs> you know, more, more seriously, I think one thing that I really hope that we do see in, see in the next little while. Like, I, I honestly don't know if this will be as natural a change for some people. But like, I I think that right now it's really key for people to think about how their volunteer positions are structured because a a lot of organizations and especially a lot of volunteer managers, they'll come into an organization and the volunteer positions that exist are kind of just there, you know, like Mm -hmm. you just with them. Um, So, you know, this is X organization and we bring in volunteers to do, you know, like A, B and C. Um, But I think that, something that's really crucial for volunteer managers to learn is um, how to take those positions and rearrange them to better suit the organization's risks and needs and strategic directions and operational plan and things like that. And uh, this is a great opportunity to do that because they have to take a lot of those positions that exist right now and take the different elements of them and reorganize them to fit this new virtual space. So I think learning that skill is also really, really important. Mm And I hope that people are able to kind of take it into the future, regardless of their limitations on virtual or in-person. I think there's like an aspect of that, Graham, where it's also not just moving it to virtual, but 
switching positions for the risks and responsibilities, as well as the people doing the volunteering. So we often had this like idea of a perfect volunteer, like the Debbie does it all kind of person and the warm bum in a chair. And so now we're gonna think of different ways to actually engage different groups of people, whether they're highly skilled volunteers or they're students with very little time or they're recently retired seniors. We're gonna see maybe more attention paid to the, or more attention paid to the audience versus just the position and the needs of the organization itself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, actually that's really important that you touch on because that's a, that's another thing that comes up in that grassroots organizations uh, conversation as well is that we're also seeing a lot of people worrying about safety with those things because like a lot of formal nonprofits, they have accountability and liability um, when it comes to their, uh, you know, volunteer engagement strategies. So if they are filling volunteer roles that directly interact with like seniors, people with disabilities or youth or something like that, they have formal structures and policies um, to, to deal with the risk of connecting people that way. Whereas a lot of these kind of grassroots organizations don't necessarily have those things. So that's another thing that I hope not just nonprofits will learn, but you know, community-based organizations will learn is how to manage risk regardless of, you know, policy, um, or sorry, regardless of like formal structure. I completely agree, Graham. And I think you just ended that on such a beautiful note that we'll cap our conversation there. So once again, a big thank you to the three of you for taking the time out of your day to chat with me about the thoughts that you have while sitting on your couches at home. Um, very appreciative of you sharing your your knowledge and your wisdom and what you're thinking about. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is fun. Thank you so much, Elise. Thanks. Wonderful. Thank you all. And we'll be in touch. Sounds good. Have a good day. You as well. Bye. 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 Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pause. In the spirit of reconciliation, we'd like to feature land acknowledgements recorded by students of the Virtual School Project, a cohort of folks building a new education model that incorporates Indigenous ways of knowing and creates new pathways to meet the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action. I acknowledge that I'm on Treaty 6 territory, home to many First Nations, including but not limited to the Métis, Cree, Blackfoot, Dene, Soto, and Nakoda Sioux. Acknowledge the ancestors of the many First Nations on Treaty 6 territory who nurtured and continue to nurture the land, making it possible for us to be present here. Acknowledge that it's my duty as a newcomer and all of our duty as its inhabitants to respect the land and view it as independent of the economic transactions we subject it to. Acknowledge that it is my duty, it is our duty, to not only educate ourselves on history, but to act on that knowledge for a better tomorrow. The guilt of the past may be a starting point, but it means nothing if we venture down a similar path. So I acknowledge the land, but also vow to respect it, to not see my wants and myself as superior. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by sharing it with a friend and rating us on your favorite listening platform. We'd like to thank our funding partner, the Suncor Energy Foundation, producer and editor Elise Martinowski of Absky Connect, series producer Naomi Mahaffey, and theme music creator Eilie Aurora. I'm Babs Weber. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.